close to the temple. Maybe connected to the temple, but as we can come to a wall. And the, if you could look up on that mountainside, you would see the Dome of the Rock or the Muslim Dome or the Muslim Temple that oftentimes we say have to be torn down in order for the new temple to be built. But we have in recent years found out the temple was in a different location, so that does not have to be torn down. But the point is this. If, the, if that was part or close to the temple, Israel was in that land years and years and years and years before we knew of the Palestines, not the Philistines, in which the Palestines may have come out of, may have. Some say they did, some say they didn't. So they may have come out of the Philistines. But there's nothing built in that area to represent them. This is still left to remind us that the temple was there. And the temple is going to be rebuilt. Now, let me ask you another question. If Israel is not in the land, and if Israel doesn't build the next temple, who will? Will the Muslims build it? Will the Christians build it? Will the Hindus build it? Will the Buddhists build it? And yet, that temple must be built. Well, in Second Thessalonians 2 is where the Antichrist or the deceiver breaks the treaty there in the temple. It's in the temple that we hear in Revelation 14, 1, that Jesus and the 144,000 are sent out from. In the Revelations, we read about the temple. It is that eastern gate of the temple that Jesus himself will enter in through. So there's so much that teaches us that Israel has to be in the land in order to rebuild the temple. Now, Israel will not be moved. Understand this. We don't have anything in Scripture that says that God a second time will call the Jews back to Israel. We do have it mentioned that he will do that at one point. And he has done that and is still doing that, calling the Jews back to Israel. Last week we talked about the land was promised even before there was an Israel. Even before there was an Israel, God promised the land. Therefore, just because you're in the promised land and you may be Jewish does not mean that you are saved. But it does mean God is using you 
for others to watch. For others to watch. It also is a demonstration of God's power and God's sovereignty and God's will. Because it is God who has established this country. Not America, not anybody else. And there's going to come a point in which America cannot defend Israel. We're almost there now between the two wars between Ukraine and Israel and so trying to supply both of them. But God will. God will. And God meant because at some point the United States will be considered useless. The United States will be in such moral bankruptcy that it will not have the mind or the heart to do it. Or it will be such financial disaster in this country that we will not be able to do it. It's going to be one of the three that we cannot help Israel. Now we need to understand, Abraham makes a statement, those who bless Israel will be what? Blessed. But those who fight against Israel or curse Israel will be cursed. Now we have to see that from Scripture. Now, there's one area that I've been studying for the last year or so, and, and that is high-powered Christians who have somewhat left the faith. And my question is why? One of them is the dean of religion at North Carolina. He went in as a Christian, and now he's an agnostic or basically an atheist. Baker, Matt Baker, is a converted Jew, but he does not believe in God. He does not even believe in Moses, and Moses is an imaginary character, and a lot of people in the Bible are imaginary characters. In the story, the problem is, how do you write 66 books that are connected by so many different authors? Other than that, there's one author, the Holy Spirit. How do you connect all these books together with authors with basically the same theme about who God is? But the thing that I'm discovering about every one of them, they came to a point or looking at scripture and would no longer believe scripture. And scripture sometimes doesn't explain everything that scripture or God does. You have to look at the character of God and trust and believe God. And when you no longer believe the Bible, understand this. You will not believe the God of the universe, the one and only God. All that you have left is your own imaginary God that you make up. So we have to find all of our evidence in Scripture. And Scripture alone, not outside readings, and those are good, and I don't want to discount commentaries or other writings. 
And there's a lot of writings about the Bible. But we got one book that is the master book. That's the Bible. And they got to always come back to that. And as I started off with last week, I was asking the wrong question. I was asking the wrong question. Because my question was for God to justify what he was doing in the book of Joshua. I don't know if any of you took time to read the book of Joshua and the word uh, slaughter, slaughter, or kill, kill, kill them all, total group, wipe them out. And that gives you kind of a different picture of God. And you try to prove that's not your God, but that is your God. But he did not do it unmercifully. He did not do it without giving people opportunity. He did not do it just to show his power and his strength. He did it from the position of righteousness and justice and protection. Now, I want you to turn with me. I want you to Remember that clothesline? Every now and then, I tell you about, you got to have a clothesline, and as you go through Scripture, you can tag this on it, put this on it, put that on it. I want you to put these three Scriptures on your clothesline. Because they're valuable to you in your thinking process. If you leave these out, you will miss God. In John 8, in verse 47, we hit on it last week, but let's hit it again. If you don't have it underlined, underline it because it's so important. He simply says, He who belongs to God hears what God says. Now, don't expect people who don't belong to God to really hear what God says. You're hoping they're here. Why? Faith cometh by what? Hearing. But we all know people hear you and they don't what? Hear you. People hear you, but they don't listen. People hear you, but they don't believe. People hear you, but they won't act on it. And he says, those who don't hear me They don't really know me. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now, why is God going to talk to somebody else of something significant and they don't even believe who he is? And the first thing God's going to talk to you about is who he is. You're a sinner, and I'm God. You're unholy, I'm holy. You need me, but I don't need you. God first is going to talk to us about our relationship, not some significant theological issues in the Bible, but the relationship. Because if you don't believe who he is, nothing else matters. It starts there. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 15. 
We read this, but sometimes we don't take it very seriously. But we have to understand, a man without the Spirit of God cannot understand the actions of God. If you have not the Spirit of God, you cannot grasp or understand the real character of God. And he tells us there in the Word... (coughs) Pick up in verse 9, verse 12, sorry. Let me get there. Well, I'm going to pick up in verse 11 because I'm having a difficult seeing 12. Okay, I see it now. We have not received the spirit of the world. So the first thing he wants to explain to us We don't receive what kind of spirit? The spirit of the world. Now, what's so important of him saying that about the spirit of the world? Understand this. The spirit of this world, the prince of this world, the god of this world, the demonic force of this world is teaching you something. If you're not learning from scripture, then you're learning from the world. You're not learning from the Word of God. You're learning from somebody else who only has knowledge and wisdom of this world, but not of the Word. And that's the spirit of this world. And most of us wind up doing what? Learning from the spirit of this world. That's why we're constantly, even with ourselves as Christians, having that inner battle on the inside that the flesh and the spirit wars against one another because the spirit is trying to say one thing and the flesh is trying to say another. And we're battling within. So we're battling from two different positions of teaching. And he says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we may understand what's the reason of having the Spirit of God? That you might what? Understand. Without understanding, we can't make good decisions. We need clear understanding. So we need to be able to understand as we travel through life about life. Who explains to us about life? The Spirit of God. Who teaches us about life? The Spirit of God. Who teaches us about truth? The Spirit of God. And the value of truth? The Spirit of God. Who gives us then discernment? The Spirit of God. Why? That we might discern what is true and what is not true. And what we battle with a lot of times as Christians, do I believe this? Do I believe this? Do I believe what God is saying? He says, The Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is what we speak, not in words taught as by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth. So what kind of truths are you receiving? 
spiritual truth. Now let's define that a little differently. What you are receiving is God's will, God's word. God's will, his direction. You're receiving God's plan when you receive spiritual truth. You're receiving God's plan. And he goes on and he says, by the spirit expression, spiritual truth. And I want you to hold on to that because we're going to see that back in Joshua. In spiritual words, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. What doesn't he do? He doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God. The man who doesn't know God, the man that doesn't hear God, the man with no understanding, does not have the spirit. He does not accept the actions of God. Doesn't accept those actions. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. To believe in a God is foolishness to them. To trust a God is foolishness to them. To say that God said this is foolishness to them because that God who said that doesn't exist. We need to understand that. We're expecting people to believe what we say based on the fact we believe in the God that we believe in and they don't. And we have to understand they will not be able to reason in the same manner in which you reason. They can't think the way you think because their mind is not being trained to be the mind of Jesus Christ. So the thinking is different because from where they receive their truth. And if you don't receive your truth from the Bible, you're going to err in life. And some people wonder why they keep falling into the same ditch because they won't get off the path they've been on all their life and on to another. And he says, For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. He cannot understand. It don't make sense to them. It's not clear to them. They cannot in any way begin to picture what you picture or see what you see. Because they are spiritually discerned. They're what? Spiritually discerned by the Holy Spirit to your spirit. They're not fleshly discerned. They are spiritually discerned. And he goes on, he says, the spiritual man makes adjustment. I'm sorry, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. And we are to judge all things. Why do we judge all things? And today we're going to look at that again. Because what we're looking for is the handprint of God. We're looking for the fingerprints of God to be all over that thing. That God's involved in it. God's doing it. See, a good investigator asks questions. But he also finds out what questions he don't want to ask by asking questions. That he can get down to the questions that need to be 
answered. There's nothing like people say, there is no wrong question. But what you're looking for is the right question to ask in order to get the proper answer to the solution that you want to the problem. And he says, because they are spiritually discerned. Joshua is a spiritually discerned book, not a fleshly concern. That's why if you look at Joshua and see how often God talks about kill them all, wipe them all out, exterminate all of them, destroy all. And we're asking them, why kill all these people? God has a good reason to do it because he's protecting another group of people. Verse 15. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Have you ever thought about why? Why aren't you worried about somebody else's judgment on you? But you are to judge what? All things. One of the worst things that Christians have in judgment is friends. Is friends. They have more devils as friends than they do godly people. And guess who they listen to, first of all? The ungodly rather than the godly. (laughs) Why? I want you to jump down real quick. First Corinthians chapter 4. This is why you don't be concerned about other people's judgment. If you've been judged by the highest court, and the highest court says you're innocent, what does that do to the things of all the lower courts? It voids them all out. That's why Trump wants to get where? To the Supreme Court. Because it would void out almost everything in the lower courts. Go to chapter 4 very quickly. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. This is what Paul says. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Not faithful to man, but to who? To God. I care very little if I am judged by you. Paul said, I could care less if you believe I'm an apostle or not. Guess what? I'm an apostle. Not appointed by you, but by who? That's one of the most important reasons why it is important for you to know who you are. You are a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You know who you are. You are more than just an earthly being. And Paul says, I don't care how you see me, how you're judging me. I'm an apostle. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I'm called of God. I don't care what you may think. Now it is required... Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Who does their faithfulness have to be proven to? 
See, don't ever think about trying to prove to me that you're a Christian. Show him. Show him. Then he'll show everybody else. And then he goes on, he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Paul says, hey, understand, I'm still yet a what? A sinner saved by grace, and I'm going to still make what? Some mistakes. I'm not innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Who judges me? Who judges you? It should only be the Lord. And he says, therefore, judge nothing, therefore, at the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And God does that. Wait. And sometimes it's we don't have the patience to wait. But it's in our waiting that God teaches us. It's in our waiting we get to know God. Now, last one here, Isaiah 55. Slow up, clock. Isaiah 55. <coughs> You hold these three things in your mind at all times. You won't miss God. Come down to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Want God's will in your life above all else. Want God's will in your life. Don't worry about somebody else's life. Your life. You want God. Seek him. Seek his knowledge. Seek his wisdom. Seek understanding of his word. Seek to know his character. Seek him. Know him. And he goes on and he says, call on him. Now listen to this why he is near. Because there's going to come a time in a sense he's not going to hear no more calling. There's going to come a time that the calling days are over. There's going to be judgment days. No more calling. We've had opportunity to call. And he says, let the wicked forsake his ways. Who is that? Oh Lord. Search my heart. And there be any what? Remember, you can still act very, very wicked. If you want to see some wickedness come out of me, or some evilness come out of me, mess with her. Then somebody will say, oh, he forgot he's he's a pastor. No. If you want to see evilness and wickedness and fighting and don't care if I hurt you, mess with her. Okay. You see something totally different. And that's our God. That's our God. 
He describes you as the little man in his eye. And that's why he says, vengeance is mine. Let somebody mess with you. You don't have to fight. He says, the battle is mine. Why? Because you belong to him. You're his. I don't have to run from you. I just stand. And he goes on, he says, let the wicked forsake his way and every man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Catch those two things. Catch those pictures of God. His word simply says, if you turn to him, he'll have mercy on you. And he says, boy, he'll freely pardon you if you're willing to turn to Put that in the book of Joshua. And look at Rahab. She said, I believe he is the only and true God. And God kept her what? Safe and her whole family. And there may have been others. I don't know. But I do know this. Those who did not turn suffered the wrath of God. And that's what we see. If we understand the character of God. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he is freely pardoned. For my thoughts, here we are now. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God says, I don't even begin to think like he does. Neither are your ways my ways. I can't even begin to do what God does. See? You might make me mad, boy, if I could snap my finger, you'd be gone, maybe. But I'm not God. I can't do what God But God can do what God is able to do that I can't do. And he says, my ways are not his way. And he says, neither are your ways my ways. Now, can we see God's hand in Joshua? And that's the question that has to be asked. In specific ways, when you are studying the scripture, Are you looking for God's fingerprint? Are you looking for God's hand? Are you looking for God's will? Are you looking at what God wants out of this? Not what you want. What God wants. And that becomes the difference in getting into the word. You're looking for what God wants out of your life. You're looking for what God wants you to do. You're looking for what God, how God wants you to live. Not how you want to live. And so many people are saying, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, give me. They got so many give me's, they can't say, God, what is it you want from me? How do you want me to live? God is holy. We need to remember that. Joshua 24, 19. Turn to it and we're going to cuss. We need to remember that fact at all times. Because even in Leviticus, God says, for us to be what? As he is. To be holy as he is. And we have to come to that place to recognize God is holy. And he won't do anything outside of that holiness, that damages, that purity of who he is. And 
the medicine I'm on right now, it kind of like numbs my fingers so I can't move too quick through the pages because they don't want to act right. <laughs> but in Joshua 24, <clears throat> and, and, and the thing is to grasp this, that God is holy. Look what Joshua says. If you forsake the Lord, now I want you to put it in the context of this Bible, of this book if you read it. If you forsake the Lord, it's a warning. And serve foreign gods, because this is why he's wiping out. But if you decide to begin to worship something else other than God, he will turn. He will turn. Rather than bless you, God is going to do what? Curse you. He will turn and bring disaster on you. Bring what? Disaster. Why are so many people troubled? Because they will not really turn and follow the Lord. And they say in their mouth they believe, but in their actions they don't. And God says, I will turn on you. Rather than giving you blessings, I'll give you curses. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. An end of you? You mean tell me he'll take my life? Yes, he can shorten your life. He can shorten your life. And he will do that. After he has been good to you. So what did God say in one sense? Measure what God has done in your life. If God didn't do anything but just wake you up, measure that against your evilness and, and your turning from him. Because without God, your eyes wouldn't open. Without God, you wouldn't breathe. Without God, you wouldn't be able to do. We move and have our being in who? In him, as 17 tells us. Now, three verses we're going to camp in for a little bit. Ezekiel 36. <coughs> Can you get me on there? Oh I, oh, I need to move. I think I'm... Yeah, I am. I hope I'm there. Get me up there. Now, these last three verses, I plan that we could go through them together slowly. In 36, verses 8 through 12. Now, we need to know how to answer people when it comes to Hamas and Israel. I can go through the whole little thing. Well, there's not enough love. Oh, it's a religious war. It's this, it's that. I need to get pacific. That I can really explain it to people. And I need to know it myself. You can't explain what you don't know. He says, Roger, turn off this middle light for me. See if it'll clear up a little better. He says, but you, O mountain of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people, Israel. They haven't been in the land for some time. 
Look what God is going to say the land is going to do. And if you go back and look at the land before World War I, and between World War I and World War II, and then after, Israel really started to be a productive land. Israel's the third or fifth largest fruit exporter in the world. Israel is one of the richest nations in the world. They have had, out of the 60 Nobel Prize winners, I think it's 23 Nobel Prize winners, Jewish. There's not another ethnic group that is anywhere close to them and intellectual knowledge and things that they have invented and found that helps humanity. But you, old mountain of Israel, and you can go to Ezekiel 36, 8 through 12, we're going to be here, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel. Now he's talking to the land, not to the people, to the land. He's saying to the land, you're going to become productive. You're not just going to be a wasted desert anymore. Branches of fruit for my people Israel. For they will soon come home. They're not home yet, but they're coming. And the land has to get ready to do the producing that it's going to need to do to feed the people. They're coming home. Verse 9, I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown, and I will multiply the number of people upon you. You didn't be that many people upon this little piece of ground. Now, Israel has the highest population of Jewish people than any country in the world, and they're still coming to that little piece of land. And you can drive across Israel in less than 24 hours. And he says, boy, and I will multiply. Look what God says he's going to do. He's going to multiply the number of people, and that's what he's done, upon you. Even the whole house of Israel. The towns will be inhabited, and the ruins, what? Rebuilt. The ruins will be rebuilt. God's done that. He's doing that. Verse 11. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you. The land. And the land has to be able to take care of the increase. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you. And they will be fruitful and become numerous. The animals and the men. Where are we going to put them, Lord? There's just so much land here, but somehow they're fitting them in. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosperous. He's going to do what? He's going to make them prosperous. He's going to make them prosper. More than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 12. I will cause people my people Israel, to walk upon you. Again, talking to the land. And this whole section is God speaking to the land. 
to walk upon you. They will possess you or they will own you and you will be their inheritance. You will never again deprive them of their children. You will never again deprive them of future generations. They're going to live there in Israel. In Joshua 11, 11, 20. Boy, this is a hard one to kind of wrap around. But the key word there, boy, where is it? Is Moses. And I kept missing Moses. But the key word is Moses. What happened with Moses and Pharaoh? Moses kept doing what? Going to Pharaoh. Pharaoh kept doing what? Hardening his heart. The first, I believe it is, first five or six times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then God began to harden the heart. Because Pharaoh's mind was made up and was not going to be obedient unto God. And that's the key in that verse, is Moses. Because look what he talks about in Joshua eleven twenty. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts. Hardened their hearts to do what? To wage war against Israel. Could that be Hamas today? That God has hardened their heart to raise war against Israel to show what? The power of God. The power of God. It's not that God hasn't spoken to them like he spoke to Rahab. It's not that they don't know. It is amazing how many Inmans know the Bible and know it well, but don't believe it. And they study the Bible. Why? Because Christianity is their number one convert that they're after. To convert Christians to Islam. And he says here, the Lord himself. Now, if I don't believe the Bible, then it cannot be the Lord. If the Lord doesn't exist, it cannot be the Lord. It has to be man. Not God. He says, the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel. Now look for the purpose. So that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unacceptance of him. Tony Evans made a fantastic statement. He said simply this here. Why should God take time to communicate with you and he already knows you don't believe in him and never will? Why should God take time to communicate with you? Is that God hardening your heart or is that first you doing what? Hardening your heart towards any evidence that God will produce to you. And a lot of people today is right in this area. Hardening the heart. That's why we see our churches so empty. The hardness of heart. That's why we see 
things that are so lackadaisical, hardness in heart. See, God may be saying to you, be this, be a Sunday school teacher, be a, on, in the praise team, be this, be that. No, 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 no. Eventually, God stopped asking. We harden our hearts towards the things of God so that he might destroy them totally. And that's what he did when he said, wipe them all out. Exterminate them without mercy as the Lord has commanded. Then you come down to Joshua 10 and 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Eshtachah, the Lord hurled large hailstones. Catch this. Don't miss this. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from their hailstorms then were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Is that a fingerprint of God? Is that the hand of God? And the Holy Spirit is blatantly honest here when he says God killed more by hailstorm than there were that were killed by the sword. God is doing something. Man, he's doing his will, he's doing his war. But the one that's really doing the wiping out is God. Is God. That's hard for us to want to even wrap our minds around Hamas and Israel right now. Because we don't want to see God in that fashion. So we bring it down to just a human realm. That they would just love each other. Let me ask you a question. Go back to World War Three, World War Two. Germany, Italy, and Japan were all friends and were against the rest of the world. Now, let's say Japan, Germany, and Italy would have won and they've conquered the world. Of those three now, who's going to turn against who? If man is never satisfied, if the greed of man is never satisfied, and if authority in man is never satisfied, would it have been Germany going against Japan? Would it have been Italy going against Germany? Or would it have been Germany going against Japan and Italy? Because what we're shooting for is this. One dominant what? Ruler. And that's what it is between Satan and God. One dominant ruler. And there is only one. There's not many gods. There's only one God. There's not many rulers. There's only one ruler. There's not many creators. There's only one creator. Our God. If I don't believe that, then yes, I throw everything else out. And one of the reasons we can't answer to the world or to the public about this thing between Israel and Hamas is simply because, again, right here and right down here, is this God doing something? 
And I was telling somebody, I can't wait until this is over with and let's hear the testimonies of what God has done in the lives of some of these people. In some of this horrific stuff, God has showed up and saved life. In some of this horrific stuff, somebody's going to be saved. In some of this horrific stuff, Somebody's going to recognize the only reason I'm alive today is because of God. So there's going to be testimonies that come out of this. Joshua 10, 13, 14. So the sun stood still because Joshua prayed and said, God, it's getting dark out here and, and we can't pursue our enemy. Uh, we got to have light for we can see him. And he prayed that God would keep, if you read that whole chapter there, keep the sun from going down. I have a paper at home from when I was in college that one of the professors gave us, and it was about this, but it was about the when they were first trying to get the thing up to the moon and get it back into our atmosphere. They could get it up, couldn't get it back. And they had to figure that out. And he found this missing day. And once he included this missing day in his calculation, they were able to bring it back. It's amazing. And, and, I, and I was looking through my stuff trying to find it for y'all. Boy, I, I didn't hit stuff away so good that I can't find it no more. And it says, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jetha, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. He held the sun, wouldn't let the sun go down. Until Joshua destroyed his enemies. Wouldn't let the moon come out. Now who else could do that but God? Now the problem is, do I believe that? Yes. Yes. Why? My God is the only one who can do it. He does the impossible. Last. Boy. This now should blow your mind. Because again, it's, it's about God. Zechariah 12, 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him, declares. He first tells you all the things that were not possible without who? Without him. None of these things that he mentioned would be possible without him. We can't do it. Then he goes on and he says in verse 2, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding people really. Boy, I'm going to make Israel this. Not that Israel is. I'm going to make Israel this. And he said, I'm going to 
surrounding people really. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. Not that Israel is, can't be tossed out of their country. It's not that Israel can't be defeated. But if God be for me, who can be against me? If God is for Israel, who can destroy them? If God is for Israel, who can push them into the sea? He says, I will make them an immovable rock for all nations. Why? He wants all nations to see what he does with this little country called Israel. Israel can't defend itself. Israel don't have the might or the power. But the God that put them there will keep them there. And he says they will be considered an immovable rock for all nations. And all who try to move it will injure who? Themselves. Are we witnessing that? You did something to Israel. Israel didn't do anything to you. You did something to Israel. Who did you injure? Did you really injure Israel? Or have you destroyed yourself in a sense? Everything that comes against Israel will de- what? destroy itself. Boy, that's hard to accept. Because we go by who has the powerful military, who has the most powerful weapon. And God says, whoever comes against Israel will injure themselves. They will injure themselves. On that day, I will stake every horse with panic and his rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over the house of who? Judah, over Israel. God's keeping a watchful eye. But I will blind all the horses of the nation. Anything that comes against Israel, God says, I'll blind them. I'll blind them. And then he goes on, he says, in verse 5, as we close, then the leaders of Judea or Israel will say in their heart, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. And that's what God wants the world to see. That's what God wants the world to know. And the only way you can get away by not saying God is in this and God's hand is on this and his fingerprints are there if you dismiss God altogether and put something else in the place of God. God says, I will make Israel an immovable rock. No power, no might on earth can destroy Israel. And everything that comes against Israel, he says, I will cause them to injure themselves. How many of you go out to a good-sized rock, raise your foot back, and really kick that thing? Do you injure the rock, or do you injure yourself? And that's what God's painting a picture of with Israel. If you fight against Israel, you will injure yourself. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you that your word, O oh God, answers things that we cannot answer in our own rationale. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true. But more than that, Lord, oh God, as Joshua said, not one of your promises have failed towards Israel. Not one. Matthew says it, Lord, not one jilt or fill of your word has disappeared. Because it's your word, it's your promise. And nothing we can do can remove it. Even our disbelief, our unbelief, it only causes us to destroy ourselves. It only causes us to hurt ourselves. Because we will not believe you. Lord, Help us to have an answer for every man that asked us of the hope that is in us. Help us to have an answer for every man who will ask us about Israel. But may we answer according to your word. May we answer according to your truth. May we answer, Lord, because this is what you have said about Israel. Not because of what we think. But because what we know in your word to be true. Minister to us, Lord. We are your people. And this is the hour and this is the day, this is the time, Lord, that, Lord, that we're going to be your witnesses that we speak truth. But we have to know your word in order to speak truth. Hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against thee. Hide your word in our hearts that, Lord, we know how to answer those who asked us that you might be glorified. You might be seen. You might be heard. And Lord, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let the church say amen. Let the church say Whatever your will is, Lord. 
song has said, let the church say amen. Let the church agree with you. Let the church agree that, Lord, you're the healer of our bodies. Let the church agree that you're the one who gives us strength. Let the church agree that you're the one who establishes our steps. Let the church agree that you're the one who controls our mind. You're the one who teaches us, oh God. Let the church agree that your word, your word, your word is true, O oh God. Yes. Let us agree, O oh God. Mm-hmm. And Lord, as the centurion prayed, Lord, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. In the areas of life where we do not believe, Lord. In the areas in which we struggle. Lord, minister to us. For we are but flesh and blood, and you know that we are. You know our hearts from the beginning to the end. God, give us. Give us the ability to believe you. To trust you. to hold your word dear even when we don't understand it that Lord we hold your word we love you Lord we love you 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 dismiss us in that love and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Let the church say amen. Let the church.